0: Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. My apologies up front for my voice. I've picked up a bug and I can't seem to shake it. I'll try to keep the top and tail short so you don't have to listen to the pony as we like to say. I'm a little (laughs) horse. I'm Dan Mullins. This is a weekly podcast about El Camino de Santiago. The Camino is renowned the world over for its energy, the opportunity it provides for a most unique experience. Once you've caught the Camino bug, it's hard to escape it. You notice the Camino everywhere you look, in all you do, day in, day out. The international symbol of pilgrimage is a shell. When you're walking in Spain, you follow yellow arrows to find your way on the way. And once you're home, you see shells and yellow arrows everywhere you look. It always puts a smile on my face to see them. And I love to meet other pilgrims. I don't just present this podcast, I'm also a musician who performs regularly. And pilgrims are always coming up to me at gigs to say hello. It's just wonderful. Many have saved their pennies, they've done their planning, done their research, and they're preparing to head off on one of the world's great adventures. The Camino regularly features in lists of the world's great walks. And why not? It's just magic and it provides an opportunity for clarity. You may have overcome an illness, You, someone close to you may have died, or you might be approaching a major milestone in your life. Well, the Camino is a great place to seek clarity in all manner of life's challenges. Take on the challenge head first. Helen Keller, the famous American author and disability rights advocate, said, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Well, my guest this week knows all about facing challenges and charging on. Valerie Granger is on the line from Cornwall in the UK. Welcome, Pilgrim.
1: Hello, Dan.
0: I've been dying to talk to you. Yours is an amazing story. But there's another story that we're going to start with. The new and I first touched base Years ago, actually. And you wanted to tell me about Alison Mason, also known as the Smart Tart. Now, everyone's going to be thinking, what a ghastly name to have given someone. But (laughs) she called herself the Smart Tart, didn't she? Because she worked in a tea shop in New Zealand, where she was from, and made amazing cakes. That's right. She wanted to start a shop one day called Smart Tarts. Take us back to the start, 2006, and working with Alison.
1: Well, um, it's really interesting because we um, have uh, volunteers come to our small farm. Uh, I can't remember how on earth we got Alison. I don't think she came via Woof or Workaway or Helpex. I think somebody said, you really need to have Alison come to and they give you a hand. So Alison arrived at our farm and we hit it off just like that. And, um, um, she was just a, a, a human whirlwind I can't describe anybody other than a human whirlwind mm-hmm. so if it was a, a plum or um, a blackberry she would made jam out of it and it was a jam jar before we'd even seen it ourselves <laughs> and we'd come in and she'd go I've made seven pots of jam or ten pots of chutney and we'd go whoa or she'd been out and she'd done something else and she came very much to help us with our business because I had a business making sheep's wool insulation. And she was amazing at that too. She came and reorganized just about everything. And, um, and she kept on telling us about this walk that she'd done, which had me absolutely fascinated. Um, so that was the main theme of everything we did was Alison, like a human whirlwind, and this walk. And the fact that she made amazing pies and cakes, including <laughs> lemonade mar- uh, lemonade scones, which were made just with flour, cream and lemonade. And to a West Country girl from England, scones to go with jam and clotted cream. Well, you couldn't get better than that.
0: <laughs> so she told you often about the Camino de Santiago and indeed um, came back to work with you another season and then went off to walk the Camino Frances yeah. from Saint Jean pierre de Port to Finisterre and yeah. as a result you went with a couple of weeks notice to Spain in 2018 and actually walked from Sarria to Santiago to see if you could but you have badly damaged <laughs> knees and we'll get to that we'll get to that but then yeah, but that's then, exactly it yeah but then covid intervened and Alison was unable to get back to the Camino because New Zealand was
1: locked up. Tell us what happened then. Well, she came to us in 2018, and she, in between Caminos, and she said, um, we said, how many Caminos have you done now? She said, I've done every route. And we were, whoa. And she'd just come back from um, the, the Camino Frances, and she was going back to, I think it was a Camino del Norte. And then in 2019, she broke down on the Camino Frances, um, I think um, near Astorga, and she had a she ruptured her anterior cruciate ligament oh. actually coming down a hill, and she um, came to stay with us, and she was quite upset. And she said, "Well, I am going to go back next year." But of course, because of COVID, next year never came. So we last we heard from um, Alison is she was cycling, uh, going on cycling tours of um, New Zealand, and she'd been to Nepal. And we thought, oh, my goodness me. Um, But, of course, then they got locked down in New Zealand and they couldn't get out. Mm. And that's when everything sort of went a bit quiet and we wondered um, what had happened to Alison. And we only found out at the end of um, 2000 and, gosh, we're in 2023 now, aren't we? We only found out at the end of 2021 exactly what had happened when she sent me a very garbled message and I thought, this is really not Alison. And I got in touch with um, one of her relatives and we found out that she died the day, a couple of days before. Yeah.
0: Yeah. From cancer. And I love the way you put yeah. it. The cancer you said was one of the silent types.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh. She had no idea. It was bladder cancer. And She had no idea. Um, and, yeah, apparently, um, from what we gather, she just thought, you know, you get up for a wee in the middle of the night a bit more. Um, and it literally, it was months. It was just a few months and she died. And so... And we were devastated. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I can imagine you would have been. This, not only yeah. a great friend and, and somebody you you'd grown to know and love, but also this whirlwind, as you say to, to yeah. some somebody who you never thought would stop spinning and stop, you know, bringing everybody yeah. that she met along with the ride, yeah.
1: Absolutely. And the, one of the first, you know, we, we, we couldn't believe it because she'd moved to a new house and we were getting pictures from, via Instagram of all the things she was doing in her garden where she'd completely re, redesigned the garden. She was, I can't wait until, you know, the, the spring when the you know, when the flowers are all back up. Um, Of course, her spring was our autumn, which was always a bit confusing. Mm. Um, But, yeah, it was just, wow, how can somebody who was was so alive suddenly be gone just like that?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess one of the things about Alison was she's left a a lovely – an old friend of mine used to say, nobody really dies until the memories fade. And I think that's probably true, and certainly of somebody like that who had such an impact on other people. But there was a line in that first email – that you sent me that struck me really uh, very deeply, actually, because you were quite interested in doing the Camino, you know, Alison had rubbed off on you and you you and your daughter uh, had been working with her. And then you said, but Dan, life intervened. And my daughter yeah. and I were diagnosed with aggressive breast cancer. Both you
1: and That's your right. daughter? Yeah. Uh, We had just won a a fantastic environmental business award. My daughter, aged 25 at the time, rang up and said, mum, I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And we were, what? And she said, I know. Um, And we were devastated, absolutely devastated. Um, What what she thought was a tiny little pimple almost turned out to be aggressive breast cancer. So... um, I thought, gosh, I thought, my mum, who had been estranged from our family, we thought, we thought she'd she died of something that we think might have been breast cancer. Um, and I knew my grandmother had, and we thought, wow. So my GP said, tell you what, you're a bit too young for tests at the moment, but I'll send you for genetic testing you know, to do, and some scans. And it turned out that I had it as well, and it was so deep down I wouldn't have known for a couple of years by which time it might have killed me, and that was amazing. So, the sort of thing that doesn't happen.
0: Well, no, it doesn't happen. I mean, what an extraordinary story! So, did you both? I yeah. have to go undergo treatment.
1: Yeah, um, we both had uh, lumpectomies. We both had um, severe chemotherapy. We both had radiotherapy. And we both had herceptin for eighteen months by IV after that because it was a very aggressive little beast um, that was what's called HER2 positive. Um, so yeah, it was a long treatment schedule. Cool. And we're both still here, so there's a good side to that too.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, we don't like to tempt fate or anything like that. Let's let's let see and hope and hope and pray that that remains the case so the story the story is just quite extraordinary uh I want to get to your journey but in the meantime that's your daughter's journey alongside you in breast cancer yeah let's go now to your plans to walk the Portuguese Camino in September 2019 but your plans had to change (laughs) because your husband was found to have two huge aneurysms
1: Take us through that journey. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Right. My husband is an ecologist, and he's also a tree surgeon. And as I said before, how we met Alison was we had volunteers and people come. So we had a lad from Cyprus who was at university in the UK, and he came on a placement with us um, to look at sustainability and to look at trees and various things. Um, he was doing uh, four placements in the world and one of them was ours and uh, so andreas and pete my husband took down a load of trees and did a load of tree surgery work on our place and my husband was getting a uh, sciatica um, and some funny sensations down his legs and he couldn't work out what it was so he kept on going backwards and forwards to the gp and they went well you know in your line of work and at your sort of age, you know, it's inevitable. And he was going, No, 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 this is really weird. So um, in August 2019, um, my husband went to uh, the GP again and he was sent for some ultrasound scans. I came back from the dentist to find him in the kitchen um, saying, Well, I've got to wait for a phone call because um, they found something on the ultrasound he said, apparently, it's two large aneurysms on my iliac arteries. So a uh, phone calls came, and um, within two weeks, um, we were sitting in front of a consultant who said, well, you know, you're a fit bloke. Um, you know, we're not going to do some stenting of these. You know, we're going to do an open repair. We're going to take out a bit of uh, a Y-shaped piece of a uh, bottom bit of your aorta and top bit of the iliac arteries and we're going to replace it, and, you know, a, a few days in hospital, six weeks off work, and you would be good as new. But it didn't go quite like that. and uh, That was the problem. Um, we mentioned that his sister had died from something to do with an aneurysm about two years before. And the consultant said, nah, 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 I, it's probably just a red herring. I, you know, we're going to concentrate on you. So in, he went to have this operation, and um, the surgeon said, You know, you, it's, it's got you no, know, there's always this bit of, little bit of paper you sign when you go into hospital, you know, to sort of say that, you know, yeah. one in a million things could happen. Yeah. Everybody has to sign these things. And uh, they phoned up after the operation to say, Yeah, he's come through it really well. He's fine. Do you want to have a photo? Do you want to come in and see him? And I said, Well, we're 30 miles away. And said, Would you want to chat to him on the phone? I said, Yeah, that'd be great. So I spoke to him and he said, hi, darling, I'm still alive. And so, so I said, well, I'll be in in the morning with um, you know a book or something and come see you." and so see you then. So the next morning I go in and uh, they take me to one side and they say, we've got a bit of a problem. Your husband can't feel his legs. Um, we think it's the epidural anesthetic that we used to um, you know as pain relief. But we've taken that off and he still can't move his legs off. We can't work out what's happened. Well, this went on all day. He was now morphined up nicely. So he was quite smiley and away with the fairies, really. And everybody was rushing around. And after several hours, they sent him for a, a CT scan and an MRI scan. And the whole world imploded. And it turned out that he'd suffered an aortic dissection, which is where part of the aorta comes away, the wall comes away and it makes two main channels. And this being the main blood vessel of the body, um, all the blood that goes up and down the body uh, goes down this. And a blood clot had gone to his spine and had paralyzed him um, from just above the hips. So he was then airlifted to a big hospital in Bristol um, where they discovered the actual graft where it was joining onto the aorta, it was coming away. And so we were given um, literally hours to, they said, well, we're going to reoperate, And he might not make it. He might die on the operating table. So, you know, say goodbye now, and we'll keep our fingers crossed. And off we were taken to theatre. And me and my children, um, we did a sort of a, I suppose, a, a a cafe crawl, around bristol going from one cafe to another waiting for news and thankfully it was successful and it managed to stent his entire aorta and save his life but it didn't actually do anything for the i mean it wasn't going to make him walk again he was now paralyzed from the hips down so some genetic testing was taken was, was done in the next few months while he was in rehab and everything and they discovered he had something called Lois Diet syndrome. And we were what? And it was something that is uh, related to Marfan syndrome. I thought, well, I've heard of that. That's a connective tissue disorder. What on earth is this? And it turns out that Lois Dite syndrome is like Marfan syndrome on steroids. It's scary. And people who suffer from this, it it's um, it affects their whole life, but it's a connective tissue disorder. And They can suffer from aneurysms, just like that. So they tested the kids. And our youngest son has Lewis Dite syndrome. Now, he was a fit, young, strapping lad of 17 at the time. And now we're in the middle of a pandemic. And they discover he has this huge aneurysm right by his heart. So within weeks, literally... He's in having open heart surgery Goodness. in the middle of a pandemic. Unbelievable. When, totally unbelievable. Uh, you know, and we're not allowed to visit him because he's in the hospital oh. in, 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 a, in a pandemic. So he's then uh, discharged with uh, having had open su- heart surgery after four days because they're trying to get people out of hospital as quickly as possible because it's full of people dying of COVID. Goodness me. Yeah. Yeah. So I have now got a husband in a wheelchair with lois syndrome, and a son who's had open-heart surgery, uh, and there's a pandemic. And we're not even a year into the pandemic, you know. It, it, so life has totally changed within a year in the blink of an eye. Um, and so I thought, crikey, you know, what, what is one's response to something like this? And it's to make everybody as aware as possible. Is what
0: can go wrong? What an extraordinary story! Holy cow! So it's Lowey's Dietz syndrome. L O E Y yep. S D I T Z. Lowey's Dietz syndrome. It is that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, how do you explain it to people who 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 ask you? And we're going to get to this. You've been walking to raise awareness of it, but what? How do you explain yeah. it?
1: Well. It's really difficult because people go, but Pete looks okay, and they go, but Charlie looks okay too, and then they look at the wheelchair and they go, ah, he's got a spinal injury, and people look at the wheelchair and they can't see obviously what's going on inside, so people focus on the wheelchair. Oh, it's so sad, and we go, no, 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 actually. Uh, the fact that he's in a wheelchair actually saved our son's life because if the surgery had gone well, we'd have never known. So we say, what you, know, you can look normal and have something that's going on inside. So you know, it's really important that if people are maybe really tall, or um, a lot of people with Marfans or love Diets are really tall. Or they have you know, fingers that can, I um, know, long fingers. Uh, things like that. We try and explain to people what the symptoms are and, um, and just make people aware or say, you know, if you've had a load of people in your family who died of something to do with their heart, or you know, do you know whether it was a heart attack or not? Especially if they were maybe 40 or 30, or if they were a teenager and had a sudden death, do you know why? And this is one of the really interesting facts because undiagnosed, Lois diet syndrome has an average life expectancy of 37. Wow. Yeah. Now, if it's diagnosed, especially as in young children with a family history, they can be put on drugs that actually can help and they can be monitored. Um, they can be monitored for aneurysms occurring in various parts of the body. Usually Aorta often the iliac arteries, femoral arteries, and sometimes in the neck. In, it could can, it can be anywhere. Um, and they can, and they, can, they can be monitored. And then uh, they can be kept an eye on. Um, and then surgery can be performed to maybe replace parts of their aorta. Um, it's like Charlie's um, aneurysm was right by his heart. He had an aortic root replacement. And they keep an, a really strict eye on him. He gets, has echocardiograms and CT scans on a regular basis. And then if anything changes, they will be able to intervene before something disastrous happens. Goodness so me. So it's, yeah, it's a rough ride. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah.
0: I'll say it's a rough ride.
1: So through It's all- very unusual.
0: Very unusual, yes, yes, yes. So you've got now... I mean, Alison's journey that you followed and, and that was yeah. heartbreaking. Then the dual breast cancer diagnoses and now this Loewy's Diet syndrome. So yes. in the meantime, you said at the very top of the podcast, you had a, a business that you made wool insulation. And, and the very first time you reached out to me, you were saying, you know, you were, you were so busy really that you had to get people like Alison in to help. So what's happened
1: to the business now? Yeah. Well, when I had breast cancer, um, you're, I, I was at the top of my game. And when you're ill, you really, really have to concentrate on yourself and your recovery. So I sold my business. Oh. And it's still going. It's a very successful um, fel- it's felting and sheep's wool business. And they make, now make sound clouds uh, for sound insulation in buildings oh. all over the UK. Um, And I sold the business to a friend called Nikki and her uh, brother-in-law Tim. And it's gone from strength to strength. And um, I watch it with pride. Um, So, yeah, I mean, sometimes something has to give. Um, But because of it, we met Alison. And because of it, I ended ended up staggering along the Camino. Um, And Alison was quite inspirational in this because she really inspired us on, on this one because she went and did the Camino before it became popular. So she started in, I don't know, 2006, 2007, around that sort of time. And she just was telling us about, I think it was the big albergue at Ronson Vallée's Monastery. When it wasn't all little cubicles, it was a huge place full of umpteen beds yeah. and things like that. So... Um, living living through all of this um, and the sort of intervening years between the two disasters um, it was always there in the back of my mind um, this woman who had she, she'd taken a much too big rucksack, she'd fallen and broken her nose because her rucksack was too heavy she'd been in dormitories with hundreds of people all going shush um, <laughs> just the stories were absolutely amazing and I had to find out all about it. So, yeah. So I just, yeah. <laughs> just, so that's why I was supposed to be going in, two thousand. Well, I went in 2018 and was supposed to be going in 2019 and life intervened.
0: Yes. And boy, what an intervention. Holy smokes. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> one of the notes you sent through to me was that Alison had hoped that perhaps her ashes would be spread on the Camino. Did that end up happening?
1: Oh, well, it's going to happen. I, apparently this year, um, I've uh, her uh, ex-husband, who they who reckon, they reconciled right at the end of her life. Mm. He actually came over to England to see some of her family that lives in England um, last year, and he actually came and stayed with us. Um, we went out to dinner, and he's called Trevor Mason, and he's a really lovely guy. And um, he and her family are going to, are planning to take her ashes back wow. onto the Camino.
0: There you are. There you are. How lovely. What a lovely conclusion to that story on Alison's behalf. Yeah.
1: Now, when
0: you very first wrote to me and subsequently, you said to me, you know, a person like me, Dan, with dodgy knees literally staggers <laughs> along the route with a small pack <laughs> chatting to others about something they'd never heard of. Of course, that's the Lowes date syndrome. Yeah. But it could change their life. You could save their life. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm talking to you is so important.
1: Tell us about yeah. the
0: dodgy knees and staggering along the Camino.
1: Oh, well, I'm a farmer, um, a, a small farmer, um, and I've had livestock for years. So I have actually ruptured both ACLs in my knees. And I've actually had one of them repaired, and the repair failed because apparently my bones aren't in alignment. So I have really, really dodgy knees. Um, and going down, da- I mean, even going downstairs, It's difficult. Walking on the flat is no problem. But going down anything is so hard because my knees can literally give way. Um, So I have to wear knee braces. And um, I walk with poles and I carry a very, very small pack. I haven't ever had my pack uh, transported as yet uh, because I'm terrified of losing it. Um, But, um, yeah, I... I walk really, really slowly and people, everybody goes past me. <laughs> everybody goes past me. Or oh, they'll just go, are you okay? As I'm mm-hmm. sort of going, going down the hill. Um, but I get there. I'm I'm the, I see lots of hares and I am the slow tortoise. Um, so uh, going down the Pyrenees, uh, going up the Pyrenees was fine. Going down the Pyrenees, the other side, was took me hours. Um, but it seems like that, that it's, yeah, it's, uh, I'm slow. And then people are often ask me why I'm so slow. And then we'll get into conversation. And then I'll talk about why I'm there. And then I'll talk about not just the lowest diets, but the aortic dissection and how people can, uh they don't have to have lowest diet syndrome or Marfan's to have a aortic dissection. There's lots of other reasons as well. So I chat to them and, you know, luck would have it or fortune, I don't know what. I often end up talking to medical professionals who maybe thought everybody died if they had an aortic dissection. Or, you know, I I, I sat on the top of Alto de Padon and spoke to a family, and the woman was an emergency room nurse. And, yeah, it's just, yeah, I I can't explain exactly, but the right people pop along at the right time as I am staggering up and down hills.
0: (laughs) So, when you talk about uh, an aortic dissection, it, it's 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 kind of like the split of the heart, isn't it? A, a tear... A split a te- of
1: the aorta.
0: Yeah, a tear occurs, and it means that the blood rushes out through that tear, and that's what causes yeah. the, the chaos. Yes, the,
1: the aorta tears, and it makes it into two. And so, the blood rushes down two it's called the false lumen. It, it rushes down what, like two channels rather than one. And uh, sometimes it bursts all together. And, and, and a person is literally, is really in trouble. Um, more people die from aortic dissection apparently and die in road traffic accidents. And yet it's one of the things that people don't know about. So so they'll often think they're having a heart attack, but they're not.
0: Right, because that's was my next question. It's not a heart attack, is
1: it? No, it's not. So, somebody might go to the emergency room uh, with uh, um, chest pains, back pains, arm pains, feeling really bad. They'll put an ECG monitor on and take their blood pressure. And they'll go, Oh, you're fine. You're just suffering from indigestion. And and they won't, what we're trying to say is to people, think aorta. Just think aorta. In this situation, the person is in trouble. You don't think they're having a heart attack. So, the next thing is to think aorta are they having an aortic dissection, get them in the CT scanner because that's the only way you'll find out.
0: Gosh, that's really good advice. Wow. It's most common, I did some research in men in their 60s and 70s, but that's, I suppose, yeah. more, that's when most people, have. That, that's like the common yeah. Thing for yeah. for heart attacks, so you you're most yeah. probably thinking you're having a heart attack. So maybe if they yeah. say, "Oh, look, it's just indigestion," just suggest, "Hey, look, can we just check that it's not aortic?"
1: Yeah, exactly. And if it's yeah. a, if, if it's somebody who's younger, say in their twenties or thirties, they'll often go, "Oh, you might have pulled something," you know, you've overexerted yourself on the football field or something. And it's a case of no, um, this could be something more serious. Yeah, that's and great advice. So, you know, if you've got a young person that comes in, they've got, they're breathless, they've got uh, chest pains, they've got severe back pain, they don't know what's wrong with them, they're sweating and they're feeling really poorly. The last thing they often think of is a person is having a problem like an aortic dissection. And they'll always put an ECG monitor on them just to make sure it's they're okay. And they'll, they'll go, you're fine but actually they might not be. So that's our big thing is think aorta, check with a
0: CT scan. There you go. Think aorta. What wonderful advice. And now you've talked about Pete and his, your husband and, and his battle, uh, Charlie, your son as well, but, but Pete now, uh, as I understand it, is has had an aortic graft,
1: and he's, yeah. he's now not well either. He's stable at the moment, but, He's just had an infection in his aortic graft. So we went off to see one of our sons and a new grandchild. And on the way home, he said, I don't feel well. And we thought we had COVID. He, it, you know, he was sort of shivery. And so he went to bed with paracetamol like you do. And next morning, he felt really, really poorly. So we got an ambulance. And he's at the moment, he's got IV antibiotics and he's fighting a, an infection in his aortic graft, which, again, is unusual. He doesn't do usual. Um, and um, so we're all fingers crossed. He doesn't do <laughs> you know, we're fingers crossed. He really doesn't do usual. Um, I mean, he uses a chainsaw from his wheelchair sometimes, so he doesn't do usual.
0: Well, that's, um, that's my next question. How highly dependable is he, and how much of your day-to-day is
1: he relying on you? Well, I'm a carer in inverted commas, but I'm not a traditional carer. I have to do things that he can't reach. Uh, we've still got a small farm. We're just selling our sheep because we've decided that actually we can't have too many emergencies and be lambing at the same time and things like this. So, uh, But I have to do a lot of things that, I, that he can't do. So um, he can't climb trees or you know, do stuff like that anymore. Um, so I have to do a lot of stuff, but at the moment I'm doing things like running him around, and he, he doesn't feel like up to driving his car and things like that. So um, yeah, I mean we don't know what the future holds. He's had three and a half years of um, borrowed time, but we have no idea what the future holds. No idea at all.
0: Yeah, 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 everything. Yeah, but there's been so much development and so many opportunities now. That a paraplegic yeah. once upon a time you just said isn't driving his car, would not have never possibly have even thought. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. He's got hand controls. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. uh, yeah. yeah. Um, you got, you, you, you get on with life. You're given this, you're given, you know, what you're given and you've got to get on with life. Uh, Or you, or you'd sit in a corner and cry. You really would. You know, it's, it's, you're dealt a hand that is just, well, uh, a, a hand, you know when, when we talk to somebody, I've got a friend who does counselling, and she said, well, "She said, if you come to me as a, a person a counselling, she said oh, I couldn't cope with that. She said, it's just too much. Um, you know, but you have to get on with it, um, and it's a really weird thing to just get on with it and cope with it the way you can." Yeah, um, yeah. yeah,
0: and this has really it's, only uh, been the last few years, Val.
1: Yeah, we've dealt with paraplegia. Uh, Lois Diet Syndrome, aortic dissections, um, open heart surgery, umpteen drugs, and a pandemic. You know, and so, breast um, cancer.
0: Yeah. Do you mind?
1: And 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 the breast cancer because you know you're never cured. You're always what's called NED, no evidence of disease, because you're never actually cured. And you get you know your annual scan, and you, you know you keep your fingers crossed, and it can come back. It can rear its ugly head again. We we just sort of go well, Ned is our favourite friend at the moment, you know, um, Ned, yeah. and yeah. So there's always that hanging over us as well.
0: Yeah, no. So life detective.
1: is for living, and you know, you get on with it.
0: Yeah, good for you. I think that's fabulous, and you're heading back to the Camino in uh, in a little yeah. in a little while, in only a few short weeks, in fact. And, and yeah. Pete's happy for you to go, even though he's a bit poorly at the moment.
1: Yeah, he's really happy. We've arranged somebody to come in and give him a hand. And he is happy for me to go because I I can't stop anything that's going to happen happening. So our attitude, his attitude is go for it. Do it. Because hanging around and waiting, I could be hanging around for the next six years. I could be hanging around for the next six weeks or the next six months. We don't know. So it's not a case of put your life on hold. It's a case of go and do it and do it with my blessing. And it's quite hard, actually. for both, It's quite hard for me to let go and to actually go and do it. But go and do it, I will.
0: One of the things I loved about your message uh, was that the last time you walked, you actually raised funds. Uh, yeah. And, and as much as a £1,000 for research. Yeah. So how did you go about
1: yeah. doing that? Well, I tend to, I, I, I call myself the two wonky knees. <laughs> and I basically say two wonky knees, walk the Camino. And um, there's a lot of people who would love to come and walk the Camino or do anything to help. And they follow my journey. I, I blog on Facebook or whatever, and loads of people just follow what I'm doing. And so I just give in. And um, people are just really generous. I say, you know, come on, guys, you know, can I, have a, can I have a few pennies? And a few pennies turns into a few pounds. And yeah, we've just, I, I've just, I raised a thousand pounds last year for aortic dissection research. This year, <clears throat> I'm hoping to raise some money for the guys who support the patients and the Think Aorta campaign. Um, whether I raise any money or not is immaterial because talking to people is really important, but actually to get research done and to save lives, they actually need money too. Um, so we have a go at that as well because there's such small charities. Nobody ever knows about them. It's not like sort of the British Heart Foundation or Cancer Research. These are tiny, tiny charities. Um, so um, and we have a go as a family. My eldest son ran the London Landmarks Half Marathon at the weekend, just gone, and he raised nearly £700. So we're all having a go.
0: That is fantastic. And now I've just found your page on justgiving.com. So it says, Val's two wonky knees walk the Camino de Santiago, raising money for the Aortic Dissection Charitable Trust. There you are. Yeah, that was last
1: year's one. Yeah. That was last year's but
0: one. it says I can click and give now. I think it's still active.
1: Oh yeah, it's still active. People can always give now.
0: Yep, so just giving.com and it's two wonky knees. If you just put that into the search engine, <laughs> it will come up and it's still it's still uh it's still live, it's still going. So we can yeah. we can raise some yeah. money, I hope, through this this Absolutely. chat we're having right now, which would be really, really lovely. So when you walk the Camino Frances in a couple of weeks' time, where and when are you walking? What are you doing? In case somebody's listening I'm, and they, they're trying to keep an eye out for you,
1: I will be starting. I'm, I'm doing it in bits. So last year I missed out some bits because I hurt my foot. So I got caught in a, in a, a heat wave. So this time I'm starting in Saint Jean again. Um, I'm starting. Um, I'm walking up to border. Um, and then walking from border over to Ronson Valleys. Um, I'm then getting the local bus into Pamplona because the one bit I, one of the one bits I can't walk is down through Zubiri. Nice. Um, I've been advised not to go down that bit last year and this year, so I can't go down there because I might end up having an accident um i'm then going to pamplona and spending a few days in pamplona probably 24 hours 48 hours because last time i got into pamplona i was so shattered all i could do was lay on my bed and say i'm gonna die (laughs) um so so then i'm um uh, then i'm taking the bus to burgos and i'm walking from burgos um, all the way, I hope. Um, the one bit I haven't walked yet is the Meseta. I've been from Burgos to Castro Jerez, um, but I haven't done from Castro Jerez um, to Leon. So I'm walking across the Meseta. Um, hopefully it won't be as hot as last time because I had to miss it out because it was 35 degrees <laughs> Plus
0: wow, goodness, yeah.
1: Um, and three people died on the Camino while I was there and my friends said, I think you'd better go home. Um so it was just too hot. It was some, it was really nasty. So um this will be um in from the middle of May to the middle of June. Oh. And um yeah, I'm hoping to fill in the bits I haven't filled in, chat to people as I go along, and uh anybody sees a woman sort of who walks really slowly. And, um, yeah, come and chat to me. If you're you're out on the Camino, come and (laughs) chat. (laughs) Do you walk with poles? I do. (laughs) I couldn't walk anywhere without poles. (laughs) I walk everywhere with poles. So, um, because you never know when you're going to come across some steps or a slope. Um, I nearly died um, coming. I got to uh, the other side of Zubiri. Uh, Somebody gave me a lift to avoid the um, the long, uh, nasty bit. And I came out of Zuberia just before Erdnis. There is this huge staircase going down. And I just thought, oh, my God. Um, There was just stairs. No handrail. And it took me about three quarters of an hour to get down it. Um, So, yeah, if you see anybody with some steps um, going down very slowly or on her backside, it's (laughs) me.
0: That's so great. I wonder, Val, have you ever thought about writing a book?
1: I have, and a lot of people have really asked me to write a book. So, uh, not just about the Camino, about the whole thing. And so at some point, I will, because I'm it's, I, I've got the sort of bare bones of it, but it's actually doing it. And, um, yeah, I, 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 it's being demanded by a lot of people. So I'll, maybe one day.
0: Yeah, I, I just asked that question because I think it's a really inspirational story. That I've worked in radio for more than two decades. And there's an old saying that uh, people love to listen to someone with a smile in their voice. And they, they can tell when the host or, or the guest has not got a smile in their voice. You have an amazing smile in your voice, and yet you've been through these very, very difficult five or six years. So I think that the book ought not be about, I don't want to say the darkness, but the troubles that you've had and the difficulty you've had, but more about the light that you've found. And are able to shed on others. I think it's fabulous.
1: Yeah, I, that's that, that's the whole thing. It's about um, not being. I, don't, I hate the word inspirational. Um, mm. When you're when you're a cancer patient, everybody goes, "Oh, but you're so brave and you're so inspirational." And you go, "No, I'm not. I'm just stuck in that situation, and you've got to get on with it." And it's the same with the situation we're in now. We're not brave and we're not inspirational. But we want to it, to be able to take, get it over to people that it's not the end of the world. I think is really important. Yeah. Um, it's you know life hasn't ended. You've got to keep going.
0: Yeah, that's right. Life hasn't over. You've got to keep going. So tell us about the Camino Frances in a few weeks' time. What do you hope to achieve?
1: I hope to get along it without having an accident. <laughs> that's my first uh, thing. I hope to not um, hurt my foot again. Um, I want to get um, all the way there, um, and I want to enjoy it. I want to actually not worry about what's going on at home and actually be able to immerse myself because there's nothing I can do about what's going on at home. Absolutely nothing. It's not too far away in case there was a dire emergency. I can get back, but I want to get some a bit of peace and quiet, I suppose, for me, mm um and yeah it, it's the peace and quiet and normality because when you're living in a situation where um your husband is a wheelchair user where things can go wrong you know you're checking up on your son who works his butt off as a student and a barman um and you're sort of making sure he's still okay and you're checking up at people that people are going to medical appointments and things you actually sometimes just want a bit of normality. And that's what I get on the Camino. I get normality um, um, and just people. It's I'm just looking forward to just meeting people, being on my own and being normal. Does, Whatever list?
0: <laughs> is there someone who checks up on Val?
1: Ah, now that's a very good question, Dan. Um, people... It's really funny. When you are in a situation like this, um, when I had cancer, people would check up on me. Now people check up on Pete. And I've even been described by some medical people as, well, people like uh, wives and husbands are collateral damage. And you think, well, who on earth checks up on the collateral damage and makes sure you're okay? And actually... Your family might, but, of course, they're involved in it as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I have friends. I have a, a, friend, a network of friends on social media who maybe keep an eye on me. But sometimes you wonder who is behind you and who is holding your back. And sometimes there's nobody there. And I'll be frank, you know, totally honest about that. But sometimes it's a lonely path to be on.
0: Well, I know yeah. that there are pilgrims all around the world. Who now know your story and will be hoping and praying that everything goes well for you when you walk this next Camino. Because not only are you walking for a bit of vowel time, you're also carrying your love and memory of your friend Alison Mason, the smart tar yes, and and I am. and the wonderful gift that she gave you, which was the energy and and care and, and inspiration. Uh, and you've been yeah. through the most extraordinary time. I, yeah. it, 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 it's totally amazing. it's, it's almost put, makes me speechless. And for someone like me, that's saying something. So I really wish you all the very, very best, Val. I know that you and I had planned to talk about a year ago and we couldn't make our worlds align. I'm so pleased that we've had this opportunity to chat And I wish you all the very, very best. And if there's anything at any stage that I can help you with, I will. And um, you're also one of my Patreon sponsors, which I thank you for. Thank you for your kindness. And I I wish you just the most wonderful journey in the next couple of weeks. And I hope it is everything that you hope it will be for you. And you do it with the minimum of pain, but a maximum of love and, and enjoyment. So in the meantime, buen camino.
1: Oh, thanks, Dan. Buen Camino to
0: you, too. My guest this week was Val Granger. And you can find Val via justgiving.com. Two wonky knees walk the Camino de Santiago. And Val is raising money for the Aortic Dissection Charitable Trust. And if that's not a good cause and a good story then I'll give it away. That was just such an amazing story. What some people go through and what some people overcome and what some people are able to deal with in their lives, just as I find astonishing sometimes. Val's two wonky knees walked the Camino to Santiago via justgiving.com. Remember, it was Helen Keller, the American author and disability rights advocate who said, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition-inspired, and success achieved. Thanks for your company this week and every week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins, Buen Camino.